0: Welcome everyone. This is Sarah Wheeler. I'm editor in chief at Housing Wire. And today for our housing news podcast, we have on Barry Habib, very excited. This is our season five of housing news and we couldn't be more excited to have Barry on. He's gonna talk about his forecast for 2021, which they updated even after the Georgia election results. So it is cutting edge and his take on interest rates and the effect of a new administration and the expected changes with that in taxes and regulation. Um, You know, one of the things Barry says in this is that right now people in our industry have the opportunity to build an empire, but are they taking it and what do they need to know to do that it's a fascinating discussion and he has a really different take on on many of these things so let's
1: jump in. Hey housing news listeners, this is Alcina Lloyd and I'm the producer of this weekly podcast which is a proud member of the Industry Syndicate. You just heard from our host, Sierra Wheeler, but before we dive into the season launch, here's a quick word from our sponsor.
0: For over 60 years, the private mortgage insurance industry has helped more than 33 million low to moderate income borrowers access affordable, low down payment home financing. This year, the private MI industry will continue to bridge the down payment gap for millions of more Americans and serve as the best option for low down payment borrowers.
1: Learn more at www.usmi.org. All right, thank you for listening, and here's the season launch of the Housing News Podcast. Housing
0: news. We are so excited to kick off our Season 5 of Housing News Podcast with one of our favorite guests from another season, Barry Habib. Barry's bio spans a number of industries. He's the founder and CEO of MBS Highway with a deep background as a mortgage banking operator, strategist, and advisor. He's won numerous awards, including being named the top real estate forecaster by Zillow and Pulsonomics twice and presented with the Crystal Ball Award for most accurate real estate forecasts out of the top 150 economists in the U.S. Of course, he's also a lead producer and managing partner of Broadway musical Rock, Rock of Ages, and there's so much more. We could go on and on. So, so Barry, so happy to have you.
2: I'm so thrilled to be here, Sarah. Love the work that you do and Alcinia does and your whole team does. So it's such a privilege to be with you.
0: Well, you know, this we had you on in April and really appreciated your insights then when none of us really knew what was going to happen with the trajectory of the virus. I think, as you said at the time, you know, when Corona was just a beer, right? <laughs> right. It, and so, you know, we're, but we're starting a new year that um, has already been historic in some interesting ways. And um, we're really happy to have your perspective again. It's it's going to be another big one.
2: It's going to be a really strong year for mortgage banking. It will be different. But um, the things that mortgage professionals have to be aware of is that there's been a lot of public money that's come into the marketplace in 2020 and via special purpose access companies or by IPOs, we've seen many, many lenders now have the wherewithal for price wars and many lenders that are looking at going at this from the perspective of being uh, able to attempt to try and turn much of the transactions we do into a commodity. And that is going to make it a little bit challenging for some mortgage bankers out there, some some independent mortgage bankers who right now are feeling great, doing great, and probably will have a good year. but. And when you start thinking longer term, that pie, as it gets smaller, you'll start to feel the effects of some of these large companies that can withstand price wars. And we'll try and have some squeeze measures to try and squeeze out some of these independent mortgage bankers.
0: I really, it does feel like we're just entering a, a whole new period with some of those uh, public companies now.
2: It sure does. So that's one of the that's one of the concerns that uh, that that's out there, but you can combat that because even if you have fewer leads, if you convert a greater percentage of your transactions and leads, well, then you can certainly offset that. So uh, one of the, you have to make investments. You have to make investments in your business, in yourself in your intelligence. So, so Sarah, if you think about this back in 1955 in San Bernardino, California, uh, McDonald's was a great burger shop and it was, Awfully busy. And if the owners would have said, hey, look, we're too busy to grow, it would still probably be a really good burger shop in San Bernardino, California, but it would not be the empire that it is today. And I look at the opportunity as we enter 2021. And if you lay it out, it's very rare that you have this type of opportunity. So let's just think about it for a second. Historically low interest rates, and we'll talk about the direction of them. In addition to that, a red hot housing market, which as you know, we've been talking about this happening for many years based on demographics, and I'll tell you why it's gonna continue. And then in addition to that, something that's very rare as well is the level of equity that people have, which means values will be protected. There's going to be the opportunity for cash out, for move ups. And then finally, this is the big one here, is that we're coming off of a great year. Oftentimes you have a tough time and then you get this opportunity. Well, we've had this great year, so people do have some money to invest in themselves. And yet I hear people say, well, I'm so busy, I can't do this or I can't do that. Well, if you're so busy, that's a that's a good thing, but you need to be a better manager of that. And that requires investment, investment A in your brain. So are you getting certified things like certified mortgage advisor? Are you reading things like housing wire? You know, Are you making sure that you're intellectually fit? And then in addition to that, are you, hiring in a way that will allow you to take on more transactions, just like McDonald's decided to do. You're fortunate that you have the, the ability now to build forward. Don't get too caught up working in your business and forget about working on your business for the long term, because you have to do that because things are going to change into the future.
0: You know, we we interviewed um, two people who who reached a billion dollars in originations this year um, on this on this news podcast, and um, both of them said that very thing that you have to work on your business. And and we know that that is the the key to success. And this is such a unique year. I mean, yes. uh, I mean, 2020 was that you just think you have to capitalize on that going forward with what you made and 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 what you learned and so that's going to be really interesting um you know when we had you on last year Um, we were really talking about servicing and now we're really coming into the challenges of servicing as people come off of these uh, forbearance plans. We're going to really see that this year. So I'd love to ask you a little bit about that.
2: A lot of people are worried about foreclosure and forbearance based upon the elevated levels of unemployment and people coming off of forbearance plans. So listen, it's it's unfortunate where we are, but let's think about it two ways. First on foreclosures. Right now, the foreclosure rate is 0.3%. So it's pretty small, but then you Add to that, what's not contemplated is the fact that 34% of real estate is owned free and clear on the residential side. So that means to make it simple, imagine you were in a helicopter and you looked over a bunch of homes in an area, and you were able to see from that helicopter view 500 homes. One of them is in foreclosure, and while one is too many, this is a far cry from the 26% in 2009 that were upside down on the value of their homes. So what this tells us is there's a lot of equity. The average LTV in a home today is 52 is 50 two on the LTV. Now, when we take a look at the amount of equity in a home, it's on average $190,000. And just in the last year, people have gained 11% equity in their home. So lots of refinance opportunities out there, lots of cushion for people, so that when they come into some difficult times, homes are selling within three weeks, according to the National Association of Realtors, that's listing to contract. But that also includes a lot of loony prices that are out there that are just, you know, pie in the sky prices. When you take a look at realistic pricing, it's typically within two weeks homes are selling. So somebody that runs into some hardships, heaven forbid, we don't want to see that for anybody. But if you do, you have an exit and you have equity to protect. So you have an incentive. In addition to that, vacancies are near all time lows, which means people don't have the desire to say, hey, look, I'm carrying this thing. It's $5,000 or $4,000 a month. Uh, It's just sitting there. I'll just dump it. So because vacancies are very low, you're not seeing that happen. Now, as far as forbearance goes, which was your initial question, when you have people coming off forbearance, it's going to be A, staggered, B, it's not like there's a bill to pay because that amount of forbearance rides alongside your first mortgage, and it has, it's, it's like an equity line of credit with no payments. So it'd be, it's satisfied at time of maturity of the loan, when you refinance, or when you sell and pay it off. So the, the bill coming due on these will be very staggered. A lot of people that entered forbearance could have made the payments anyway, but since there was no qualifiers, they just chose to maintain cash flow. And a lot of people will be coming out of this situation by regaining their jobs. Yes, it is true that 10 million people are not gainfully employed that would have normally been. However, and this is again, another unfortunate thing, that COVID has disproportionately impacted renters more than it has home buyers. Now this does not discount the fact that there still will be some pain but what I'm trying to say is, it's not going to be something that can't be absorbed due to the activity in real estate, the demand for real estate, the equity that people have in their homes, and the staggered nature of how these people come off of the foreclosure, off of forbearance to avoid foreclosure.
0: Yeah, and you know, when when we first, um saw that okay it's an open foreclosure sort of like you just have to say yeah I'm in I'm in some some distress. We thought, how high is that going to go? And really it never got that high as a percentage. And you know down, now we're down to like 2.74 million loans are currently in forbearance. It's that's really low compared to what it could be.
2: Yes, it is it is closer to somewhere in the neighborhood of five percent of of all transactions. Again, disproportionate with government transactions, but um uh, once again What we're trying to say is that one's too many, but it is at a level that can be, uh, that will be manageable in a way that will not dramatically or really impact this red hot real estate market.
0: I agree. Well, let's let's go ahead and jump in on rates, because I think that's one of the things that, to your point, um, so we've been talking to economists all year, and especially in the last couple months, and we've had all these forecasts, and everyone pretty much assumed that the Senate was going to be um, under Republican control, and the forecasts really were were built around that. So when that didn't happen, when when we got a surprise there, and now those uh, results are final, um, how did that change the forecast, you know, your forecast?
2: So, predominantly, most people are forecasting higher interest rates to begin with. And, and you know, listen, let's let's call it facts the facts, right? The vast majority of people, the very, very, very vast majority of people, got this completely wrong for many years. Now, the direction of rates, fortunately, we've been on the right side of it and forecasting lower rates. And one of the cornerstones of that is that. You know, rates are really based upon what happens with the inflation environment. And we thought that technology will keep inflation low, but we also feel that debt keeps inflation low. And this is a tough concept for people to understand, because what everybody says, even now with the additional stimulus is, oh, well, that's going to cause inflation, debt's going to cause inflation. Debt does not cause inflation. You see, when we have stimulus like this, you can anticipate for a period of time that rates will rise based upon the additional economic activity that the stimulus brings. But when the stimulus wears off, it's ephemeral. When it wears off, what happens, Sarah, is that you are now left with the bill to be paid. And that bill to be paid is debt service. And what people say oftentimes is that we are printing money. We are no, thank God, we are not printing money. We are borrowing money. We're going into debt by borrowing it. So that borrowing is done via the sale of treasuries. Now, the additional sale of treasuries, what happens with those is that you're, you're looking at more increased debt that the government has. And you would say, okay, that supply of treasuries, wouldn't that cause rates to rise? Well, not really because the government is going, the, the Fed is going to be monetizing that by putting that on its balance sheet, but the payments still have to be made. And that means that we have less dollars, less money on the long-term that could be used for economic stimulus and growth and more that has to be paid towards interest on the debt. When you have any situation like that, it slows growth. We've seen it every place in history, uh, every time in history, whether it's the US, China, Japan, Italy, France, anywhere in the Eurozone. We know that this is true and yet so many people don't really see it or understand it or look at that. So when we take a look at what we can expect, we can expect a little bit of a bump up in rates due to the initial effects of the stimulus. Here's what it's like. Sarah, imagine a family buys a car, and if that family goes out and they purchase a car, what you will see is you'll see the manufacturer makes money, the dealership makes money, the salesperson makes money. So you have a bit of economic activity initially, but then what remains is for the next five years, that family has less money that they can now utilize to make payments, uh, to, to buy other things because they're making payments on this car loan. It's the very same thing with the governments. As governments increase debt, What they will see is they will see initial response, although it it, it has a law of diminishing returns, and then afterwards, what is left is the bill to pay, and that slows growth, slows economic activity, keeps a little inflation, and actually drives interest rates lower, not higher. So we see a bump up in rates initially, but then we do see them coming back down. I don't know if it challenges or or comes beneath the all-time low, but certainly will remain levels that are extraordinarily favorable and near historically low level
0: so we've been in that refi market and again you know it's still going to be low but then you have all these people who have already refied Um, so as we turn maybe to a purchase market we've been saying that for i don't know a couple years now what are the strategies that you feel like people are doing or not doing that they should be like like this is a big some of the people who made a ton of money this last year they're going to really have to pivot right
2: so here's the thing, Sarah, is that we've actually been in a purchase market. The purchase market's red hot. It's just, it's just that refinances have been hotter, right? So there, you've got two super hot markets. Um, when we take a look at the refinance market, which now, as you know, represents about 70% of transactions right now out there, you're taking a look at a trigger right around three and an eighth percent. So, why do we say that? because currently about 54% of all mortgages out there are below 4%. And that number, as you mentioned, is growing every single day. So what that tells us is the average family we know needs about a three-quarter percent incentive in order to say I should refinance, which means three and an eighth becomes a very pivotal level. Now, could we reach up to there and see refinances slow rather, uh, rather remarkably? We could see that. Uh, however, I think that for most of the year, we'll probably remain at a, around that 3% or less. But there will be times that we could kind of go up that and people will start to see a drop. So, as you say, pivot, what can you do? Well, staying with refinance, remember that people have equity and people have now been able to remove MI. So, a lot of candidates will pop up out there for different reasons either MI removal or debt consolidation, which is one of the main reasons why you should be taking a look at refinances, and then term reduction, which a lot of people don't think about. But these are the things you could really beat these headset jockey type of companies that are trying to make this industry more commoditized. So you have to use your intelligence and your ability to consolidate debts and advise clients as to how to build for their future by using this wonderful opportunity and gift that we've gotten. Now, on the purchase side, social media is a big one. You know, you want to make sure that, and I'll get your refinance business too, but you want to be able to understand on the social media front, how to utilize that and get your, get your message out there, especially in the times that we're still going to have in the beginning of the year where COVID will restrict some, you know, some gatherings and things that we've been accustomed to. Now the housing market, about 56% of transactions have multiple offers. Many of them going above asking price, 20% of transactions are cash offers. So this sets up an, a, a, a lot of barriers, and then you've got all of these online companies that have come on the fintech companies, which are reaching in the pie too. Now there's enough to go around right now, but any type of a slowdown or constriction there, you're going to start to feel. And over time, as there, as these other factors become uh, greater challenges for us, how do we, as you say, how do we pivot? So. What we really have to do is be able to help the client understand what the opportunity is in real estate so we've created some tools and you know if, you, if, if people have access to this what, what can you do we have a bid over ask tool which really helps individuals now be able to say okay so here's what the value is today here's what maybe they're offering or maybe they're offering somewhere right around you know what that asking price is but in order to win this transaction to beat a cash offer to beat other competing offers i've got to come in and pay over asking price Sarah, you do not, we don't want to pay full asking price for anything, but what about if we have to pay over asking price? That's not something that we love doing. So it's a challenge for that real estate agent to get the customer comfortable with it and seeing that in some cases it could be a really smart decision. So what we're able to do is show that client when the value of their home in the future will eclipse what they're offering. And by doing that, they might say, well, you know what? In two months or so, the value will be more than what I'm offering. So I'll go ahead and do that. And it gets people to cross that. Uh, across that psychological barrier of wanting to pay more for that home. And they're doing it based on good, solid information. In some cases, it doesn't pay for them to do it, but at least they'll be able to evaluate that and make smart decisions that will allow them to participate in this enormous wealth creation that the real estate market is given. Remember, Sarah, if you put 10% down on a home and that home goes up 6%, which, by the way, that's our forecast for 2021, you made 60% on your investment.
0: Great, great point on that one. You know, um, uh, my sister's looking in the, in the Colorado Springs area, which we have already reported on is just super hot. Uh, she bet on a home that was priced at 642, and that's about the, what the comps were. Uh, she got beat out. She went over, uh, but she got beat out by someone who offered 700. And if the comps are at 642, you know, is that really the smartest thing to do? Uh, Both the real estate agents involved didn't think it was, uh, but the person wanted the house, they had the money. So there you go.
2: Those are difficult ones, you know, so so to go that high above, you know, almost 10% above asking price, that's a lot. And then when you start to get very far above asking price, and if you are limited in the down payment that you have, then you start to run into barriers that can come into play, such as you know, I need to get X amount of LTV, or now I might have to go MI because it won't appraise for that. So there's going to be some other considerations that your hopefully your mortgage advisor will be able to help you with, and that's the whole point of choosing an advisor rather than you know a, a company that's looking at this as a commodity. You bring up such a great point, Sarah, because these are important things that need to be contemplated before making that investment.
0: I love this. so it's it sounds like your forecast is pretty positive. I mean, coming into 2021, it seemed like. We have some uh, daylight shining through, right? The light at the end of the tunnel when you think about vaccines, when you think about people being able to get back to work, um, when you think about, you know, a potentially stable government, um, we're not quite there yet. Uh, so, so are you optimistic? Are you? Is your forecast optimistic?
2: We have a really optimistic forecast for this year with regards to interest rates and real estate. However, this will be a year of certain individuals seeing this and gaining enormous opportunity and really creating generational wealth for themselves. And it'd be a life-changing year, but it's also gonna be a year that so many will look back on and saying, wow, that was a great opportunity, but I missed out on so, so, so much. Again, building a good burger shop might be something that is okay for this year and profitable for this year, but boy, it would sure hurt to look back and say, I missed a chance to build an empire for myself. And I think that, almost every person listening to this has the chance to do right now. It's really in your hands, it's totally in your control. And once again, as we started with this, we talked about making that investment. There's a difference between time spent and time invested and investing the time, the money, the resources, which you now have the ability to do coming off a great year in assistance, junior loan officers, systems, tools, and your intelligence. Those are the things that you need to do right now. And, and the excuse of I don't have enough time will not serve you well when you look back at those opportunities that are going to be lost if you don't do those things.
0: What are some things you're looking forward to when you look at the next year? What What are some of the things that you're looking for in, say, the second quarter or the third quarter to see if, yeah, this is this is the kind of year I thought we were going to have?
2: So what we what we anticipate is we anticipate that you know the, the driving force for much, much of this is going to be how we get through this vaccine procedure and look like anything else is gonna be fits and starts to begin with. You gotta get the systems in place, then things will become more on a roll. So to try and get herd immunity somewhere above 70%, let's just say, you're gonna have a a segment of the population that will be immune due to the fact that they've already had COVID. But then if you can get about 40 or 50% of the population inoculated, well, now you're really going to start to see people start to feel more comfortable taking the masks off, have more gatherings, generate economic activity, service sector economy starts to improve. And now you really start to see the economy do better. Uh, Many people think that that will be a trigger for higher rates. We don't because we think that you have demand and supply. We think demand is going to be there. But right now, supply side is short. And that drives prices higher, creating inflation. When the masks come off, when the service sector gets there, you actually have supply come up to meet demand, which interestingly enough, in a higher level of economic activity will cause less inflationary pressure, which will help to keep interest rates low, not high. Again, it's something that a lot of people don't see, but but it's pretty clear for us that this is the direction that will happen. As far as the housing market goes, that is going to continue on a roll, uh, especially when we get to a level that uh, that allows us to move around more freely, travel more freely, gather more freely. So the, the driving factor of the speed of the recovery is going to really be based on how quickly we can get shots in arms. Uh, and, and, and I think that that's going to be something that we'll find out in the second quarter. And let's also remember, as the initial segments of the population of frontliners, and then after that, you know, people with pre-existing conditions who are of older age, you start catering to that first and taking care of that segment of the population, now everything gets a lot easier. because now you you free up a lot of the fears of people who say look i you know i don't want to do this because i might come home and bring it to somebody who would die if they get it you know what i'm saying so i, I can't attend a gathering i can't do this i can't do that not because i'm as worried about if i get it if I'm, you know if you're a 22 year old you know chances are it's going to feel like in most cases you know an inconvenience if you got covid right as opposed to you bring it home, and now it's a guilt trip for the rest of your life. If someone, you know, so, so these are concerns that people have, and it's causing them to think twice in their actions and in their jobs. And it so, this will start to alleviate the pressures. Of Listen, let's just pray that this thing doesn't mutate super fast and get outside of uh, of what we could do with it with with the uh, with the vaccinations. But you know, uh, viruses over time, what's very interesting, with every virus is that the virus wants to survive too, and. If, if through mutation, it's realizing that it's killing the host, it actually becomes less uh, lethal so that it can maintain a, a, a greater life stretch for the, for the particular virus.
0: Wow. That, that's the, uh, I, I haven't heard, I, I didn't know that. And so that's actually uh, super positive to think about.
2: Yeah. It's not because the virus has a mind or a brain. It's just there are random mutations. I do a lot of study on this. There's random mutations that occur and the random mutations that live longer are the ones that continue to replicate. So uh, interesting.
0: Very interesting. You know, another area I wanted to touch on is um, we have a new administration coming in and, uh, you know, generally speaking, Democratic administrations are going to have more regulation. Um, we've already we've written quite a bit about this, about what does the CFPB look like under Biden as opposed to, you know, are we going back to the Cordray days um, as opposed to the Craninger? Is it going to be somewhere in between? And, and what does that mean for our industry? Because definitely, you know, there's some risk there for us. What are your what's your take on that?
2: Gonna be a little more expensive because regulation is going to become more you know center front you know there was a, a couple of interesting um uh, little little caricatures that I had seen in the past you know when when you saw back in the old days there was a little compliance guy in the corner of an office right now then it became where the compliance department was like the centerpiece of the office right and now under Craninger, it has certainly kind of been much more quiet I would say that you're probably somewhere in between because I hope that we've learned a little bit from the quarter ride days that maybe that was not the wisest of, of, of steps to take, but you never know. Um, it certainly will be more regulation and cause more expense to, to transact loan. Uh, I, I think that that is coming, but I also think that the big thing that will come out of this is, is taxes have a good chance of increasing. I think 39.6 from 37 on the top tax bracket is a lock. I also think that going to another 12.4 percent on uh, Social Security above certain income levels, whether the level is 250 or 300 or 400,000, I'm not sure. But I think that will be something that we can look at. And the other one that can cause quite a bit of disruption in the marketplace is capital gains. Because the capital gains rate going from its current level of a lot of people think it's 20, it's actually 23.8 is the top capital gains rate, going to a 39.6% as proposed capital gains rate, that can disrupt the real estate market. That can ris- disrupt the the stock market. That will cause even the sale of businesses to, uh, to think twice, and, and that could cause capital to, uh, to, to come under pressure, because we don't know how this is going to impact an already tight market of inventory. If somebody says, "Well, now if I've got this huge tax bill to pay, I might not want to sell my home." You got to remember, inventory levels so tight already. I mean, you know this, and then you throw on top of that the fact that you know, many elderly who would go into long-term care facilities say, I'm not doing that. So those homes are not coming on the market. You have builders who now are trying to ramp up, but the fact that they missed six months of building, you don't just make that up. That's one of the reasons, look at what's happened there. And then when you're taking a look at inventory levels as well, and you say in in this big picture, you know, what starts to happen with, with inventory levels? If we, if we are in a position now where people are, not making as much in in their stock portfolio that can go after and now start bidding higher, it will cause some, I think, some difficulties in the real estate market. And at the same time, they're talking about a $15,000, a a, a variance of first-time home buyer. you have certain qualifications, credit, and, and that credit, or they're not even saying you have to wait for your taxes, you might get that. I don't know how you would actually get that at the closing table, but let's just say they work out the logistics of that. Listen, we already saw this movie. We saw this movie in 2009 and 2010. And what it did was in a downtrending real estate market with plenty of inventory, what it caused is is actually caused a spike in prices as individuals had to use that credit before the expiration. And that spike in prices was then met with, once it expired, a complete void. You didn't add any purchases. All you took is that purchases that would have naturally occurred, you crammed them up, made people pay more, and the void caused prices to drop precipitously. And that caused a lot of pain for those individuals because they then found themselves bidding up to here to get that $8,000 at the time was $8,000 tax credit and then losing 15 or $20,000 in the value of the home. It wasn't a good deal for them. That was with a lot of inventory. With the lack of inventory that we have now, if we got a program like this institute, which certainly sounds straw man version, sounds good on paper. Who doesn't want this? right? But there are unintended consequences, which the government, as we know, is not very good at figuring out. Those unintended consequences, I think, will just drive prices already being pressured sharply higher for a short period of time and then create a void once the tax credit or whatever it's going to be expires. And that will actually cause potential at least temporary drop in prices, which will make people feel pretty badly about the fact that they rush the purchase.
0: Well, I think especially when you think about the fact that the one of the things that's driving um, the housing market right now is the demographics of all those millennials hitting the age where they want to become homeowners, right? 33 is like the average age, and now their average age is 29. So we don't really need an incentive. Like we haven't seen first-time homebuyers fall off, right? So, so they're the ones driving the market. So I think it's interesting that that's what we're focusing on.
2: So, 32% of transactions today are first-time home buyers, and it would probably be higher if inventory levels were higher. We've seen it bump up to roughly 34% a few months here and there, as reported by the National Association of Realtors on their existing home sales report. But you know, we were amongst the first to talk about that and dip, have been doing it for years and talking about showing the graphs and charts and birth rates. And uh, when you take a look at where we were in 19 from 1987 to 1990 which represents the birth period of a lot of first-time homebuyers, there was an explosion, literally an explosion in the level of births. None like we have seen in a long time. The last time we had seen that, it was representative of when we saw in the early 2000s real estate value starting to perk up. So we're going to see demand over the next three years rise up dramatically. And in an already tight environment, it's going to cause prices to appreciate even more And as you know, builders are having a tough time keeping up with that, especially on the lower end because the margin's not there. So you're gonna see increases in median home price. You're gonna see overall home price appreciation. I mean, this year, you know, 2020 looks like 8%. We see next year about 6%. And remember, let's not get it confused with the 15% rise in median home price. They're two different things. The median home price is rising faster simply because of the lack of inventory on the lower end. Median home price does not mean appreciation. Actual appreciation is 8%. And then the big one that everybody gets confused, Sarah, is they think that it makes it unaffordable. So the first thing on affordability is people look at the wrong metric. They look at hourly earnings when they should be looking at weekly. Because remember, you could work more or less hours. Yet I I keep scratching my head for many, many years as to why people don't look at weekly. When you look at weekly, you're currently seeing 6% year-over-year growth. Somebody might say, well, okay, Barry, it's not 15%, it's 8%, okay, we get that. And we get, it's not hourly 4%, it's 6% because it's weekly. But that still isn't keeping up with home price appreciation. It's more than keeping up because you don't use all of your income to pay for your household expenditures. So if you think an average person might use 25%, it's actually less than that, but 25% on average to qualify for their mortgage payment, well, that means that that, believe it or not, sorry, get ready, hold on to your seat here, that 6% increase in weekly earnings, if interest rates stay the same, can easily handle 15 20% home price appreciation in a year and you would have more affordability, not less. And I know that might sound crazy and I know that the vast, vast majority of people don't get it and that's because math is hard and most people just don't do the math. Uh, but when you do, and as we've said for many, many years, because we've used all these metrics and they've always proven out correctly, uh, this is the way you need to look at it. But so few do understand that. You
0: no, know, you're you're definitely um, in the minority there on on looking at housing affordability. So I appreciate you uh, breaking that out for us because it's not something that most people understand. And as we report on it, we're we're always trying to get it right too. Right? It can be Yeah, different.
2: we we want to make sure we try and understand this because, look for many years, people have been crying wolf on affordability. And what have we seen real estate values do? It's because once you do the math and you understand why things are becoming more affordable and why demand's increasing, because income does not have to keep up with home price appreciation based upon the ratio of what you utilize. And then looking at the correct metric, which is weekly earnings as opposed to hourly earnings, because weekly earnings have been rising at a faster rate due to the fact that before you hire somebody, you usually wind up paying that person, giving that person a little bit more work to do before you make the plunge to hiring. Why do you do that? Because, as you know, when you hire an additional person, not only do you have all the training and this and that, but now you have a new set of, you have to start from beginning on Social Security wages, you have to start from beginning on benefits. So it's much more expensive. Or if you get a headhunter to do it, you have other fees that you, that you incorporate. And then there's the trial and error. I'd rather take the person, we all would. I'd rather take the person I know that this and, that, and, and just pay them a little bit more and work a little bit longer, and then I'll get the job done that way, as opposed to hiring somebody else. that's much more efficient.
0: So true, and you know, hiring has been a huge topic this year as people had to ramp up for the volume, right? And what are they going to do? We saw operations uh, salaries go through the roof. Um, what do you think about salaries uh, in twenty twenty one?
2: So in twenty twenty one, I think that will be uh, be interesting to see because so many people were being paid and almost could have written their own ticket, right? But there might come a day where that not, won't necessarily remain because margins are very fat right now. But Sarah, we know historically, there wasn't always like that. I mean, heck, just go back to 2018, the margins were so razor thin. Remember what was the big buzzwords back then? Margin compression, right? Even into 2019, oh, margin compression, mortgage, and and. That would mean meant people were really making a lot less companies were making a lot less per transaction. Now while that has certainly become a lot juicier now, does that always remain that way? It probably won't as things evolve. And we know that look i've <laughs> I've been doing this more years than I care to to admit owning my own company, originating transactions all in the decade measurement size. but I know that I've seen perhaps not to this extent, huge tailwinds. But what I can tell you is that, the tailwinds don't continue to infinity uh, that does change. And then you wind up with a period of time that, you know, it's a bit more challenging. And I think that that will be, that will be a time where the tide comes, the tide comes in and you see what the tide goes out, I should say, and you see what's, what's out there. Uh, Those big ticket items might be up for renegotiation or change.
0: It's great. And I feel like it, it, Uh, Ties us back to the beginning of our discussion when we talked about public companies coming into the space and really public companies, you know, uh, getting in at the peak of a great year of mortgage and you think, hmm, you know, uh, what does that look like when we have a year where it's not the peak when when we do have some headwinds instead of tailwinds.
2: Well, Public companies are very different because they don't have that emotional tie. So it's just a numbers game and it's becomes things that, uh, you know, we've heard, you know, headcount reduction and cost controls. And, you know, it's, if you have a smaller company, that's not owned publicly and you have the individual relationships, you still want to make smarter decisions, but you, you tend to, you tend to have a little more heart involved in the situation, you know? Um, so listen, let, let's hope it works out to where we can, we can come off of this thing, not abruptly, but maybe a little bit more gently over time. We hope that we, we're we in for something like that. But remember, a lot of those big companies, they have war chests of funds that they can now be in those price war battles and, and stand up. So the smaller independent mortgage bankers really need to invest in their individuals and work on conversion. Because while transactions, because they're not always going to be able to win on price and they're not always going to be able to have the abundance of opportunity that they've been accustomed to. So how do we combat that? We combat that by increasing rates of conversion. So if I get less leads, but convert more into application, I can I can manage that. And if my price is not the most attractive out there, then let's understand that this isn't a commodity. And once again, let me invest in my intelligence so we can give advice as to when to lock in or how much money to take or how to pay off debts or how to reduce your term or how to pay for your kid's college or plan for your retirement in the future and work with the client in a way that is much more consultative and advisory than offering a price as a salesperson.
0: Well, I feel like that is the theme um, that you're talking about for this year, which is investing in your business, investing in yourself so that you can make the best decisions. So any any parting thoughts uh, aside from that that you'd like to share?
2: So, you know, when we when we look at the, the year ahead. And really, we're kind of just stepping into a new decade now officially, right? So uh, so when we, when we take a look at the opportunities that are ahead, so much is going to change. You know, think about a decade ago and how much has changed in the last decade. So we're going to be looking at a lot of change that occurs. So I think what we need to be able to do is continuously remain sharp. Don't fall asleep at the wheel because change is occurring faster than it ever has. So that wonderful brain that we have all been blessed with you need to keep that sharp and you need to really make the biggest investment in yourself in your mind in your education uh, in, in making sure that you're aware of what's going on and listen don't just read to consume when you read things like housing wire take take the step back and look at how can i use this advice how can i use the things i'm learning here to be a better consultant and advisor to my customers what can i take from everything that i'm consuming and put back out there to do good for my clients.
0: I love it. Thank you so much, Barry. We really appreciate you being on and, and really as a great follow up to when you came on in April and now, you know, a whole a whole new year, a whole new decade. And um we'll have you on again. But thank you so much for those insights.
2: Well thanks for all the good work you guys do.
1: Well, thank you for listening to the Housing News Podcast. Please don't forget to give us feedback and rate us on iTunes. Also, make sure to check out HousingWire's daily podcast, HousingWire Daily, which is a wrap of HousingWire's hottest stories and now available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and more. And we'll see you next week.